Well, Happy New Year. What a great way to start the year to be in the Lord's house together on the first day of the year. What a good day. It's the time of year that many people start thinking about New Year's resolutions, and that's a good thing. We started thinking about change because, uh, honestly, unless you've already reached a state of perfection, we all need to change, right? We all hopefully should have some desire to grow in some different areas. And so I think it's great when people start thinking about New Year's resolutions. The, the sad thing is, is that uh, if you've ever made any, you know, most of us don't keep them, right? We make resolutions, but then we just don't follow through. And so I want to talk to you about something that truly has the power to change you and change you uh, long term, and that's habits, habits. We are all the sum of our, of our habits. Not many things that are of lasting value are accomplished in a day. It just doesn't work that way. If you're going to build up a retirement, you're probably going to need to work and you're going to need to save a little every month, month after month after month after month. You know, unless you get some inheritance or win the lottery or something, you're going to have to slowly accumulate that. you got to produce a habit of savings. If you're going to be healthy, you can't go to the gym today and eat three salads and do what you want to the rest of the year, right? It doesn't work that way. It comes about through consistency. Our, our health is determined by what we eat every day and what we do every day. It's, it's a habit. See, habits are very, very powerful because they produce this cumulative effect in our life. Oftentimes, we look at individual actions and we dismiss them as not really significant. And in and of themselves, they may not be significant. But over time, they add and they grow and they produce change. If you've ever planted a tree, you know you cannot see it grow. It just doesn't grow that fast. You can't see it. But when I go back home, and I see the trees that we planted when I was a kid, and I haven't seen them in a year. I see progress. Mom, uh, when I was a kid, we planted two maple trees on each side of the driveway. And they were just little sprigs when we planted them. And I can still remember my mom saying, she says, someday these trees are going to grow and the branches are going to reach together. And you're going to drive through two maple trees to come into our house. And so now, now it, it happened. It took a long, long time. Rain after rain after rain, year after year after year. But in no time could you go out there with a lawn chair and see them growing. It's gradual. It's progressive. We see that's the way habits work in your life. That's the way they work. You, you do things every day, and that either leads to maybe being better saver or being in better health or let, let's talk about something a lot more important than all those things because most of the time when people make new year's resolutions do you know what they're about they're about their weight and their finances uh, that's you, you check every survey you'll see the vast majority of new year's resolutions people want to get in better financial shape and they want to lose weight and those are good things they really are but you know what the Bible says about bodily exercise? 
it says it's of little profit. Not of no profit, but, but, but of little profit. There are things that are so much more valuable, and that's the health and the condition of your soul. And so I want to talk to you about some things, some habits that you can form that will lead to healthy spiritual growth. Now, as we talk about some of these different things that we can do that will lead us to grow as Christians, none of them are going to be mind-blowing things. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to leave this sermon series at any time and go, whoa, I never thought of that before, unless maybe it's your first week in church or something. Because most of us are not where we are spiritually because we don't know what to do because we're not doing it, right? Different times I've, I've joined the gym, and when you join the gym, they give you a survey. Some of y'all just stay in the gym, but I'm in and out, in and out. So anyway, every time I go join, they give you this survey, and one of the things that they'll ask you, and I know they ask you because they're wanting to sell you like a trainer, and they'll ask you this question. They'll say, do you know exactly what to do to be in better physical shape? And you know what I do? I click yes, because I do know. Like, I used to work out. I used to have a trainer, like, I know what to do. I'm not fat and out of shape because I don't know what to do. I'm fat and out of shape because I'm not doing it. And you laugh because it's true, right? We, we, all, we all know things that we could be doing that would either lead us to better financial shape, better physical shape, or better spiritual shape. So what I'm going to be talking about in this series is not, not necessarily things that we've never heard before. It's, it's the fundamentals that we need to make a part of our routine, a part of our lifestyle. These things need to become habits in our life. And when they do, there may not be a day where you get up and say, wow, I've really grown spiritually since yesterday. But over the course of months and year, growth takes place. And if you'll embrace these habits and make them part of your life, uh, you, you may not see a big difference next Sunday, but I guarantee you next January, you'll be able to look back and see how you've grown tremendously spiritually in your life. So here's the first habit that I want to talk about today, and it's the habit of prayer. If we're going to grow spiritually, we need to pray often. Colossians is the passage we're looking at today. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. And so Paul was writing to this church, and these are his uh, last instructions that he gives the church before he's uh, closing out his letter. And so I want to ask you, would you join in, me in standing as we read this together? Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. The Bible says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Father, give us a desire today to obey your call to prayer. May it become part of our life. 
Help us to pray often that we might grow and become more like your son. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as believers, we need to be devoted to prayer, devoted to it. it that means it needs to be a, a regular, ongoing part of our life. So here's what it says in the Bible here. It says, continue steadfastly. Continue steadfastly. Now, uh, the, the New Testament was written in the Greek language, and if you took Spanish or, or a language like that, you know, a lot of times you just take, they have a word for our word. You just kind of switch them back and forth. But the languages of the Bible are not like that. They're, they're just a lot older and they work a lot differently. And so there's not always a way just to take one word and change it out for another word. And so both those words together, that, that phrase just translates one single word in the Bible, and I want to show you some, some other places where that word is found so that we can understand what it means. In Acts chapter 2, verses 46, here's what it says. And day by day, attending. Now, that word attending is the same word in Colossians that says continue steadfastly. I, I'll explain why in a second. But day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So the same word that was described, uh, church attendance, was used to describe prayer in Colossians. In uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 14, listen to this verse. All these with one accord were, now this word devoting, it's the same word in the, same word in the Greek, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all his brothers. Acts chapter 6, verse 4. Here's another example. But we will devote, that, that's the same word, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We'll say, say, how can one word mean continue steadfastly, attending, devoting? Uh, words have a range of meaning, but everything in this word means this ongoing, continual activity. That's what it means. It means to, to, to constantly be devoted to doing something. And so it was used to describe their worship in the temple where they went the Sabbath after Sabbath. And then after Christ resurrected, they went Sunday after Sunday. It was used to describe their, the prayer life in Acts of the believers. It says devoting themselves to prayer. And then in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, it says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. So, so, so here's the definition. I'm going to just read it to you from, from a biblical Greek dictionary for this word. It says, here, quote, to continue to do something with intense effort, with the possible implication of despite difficulty to devote oneself to, to keep on, to persist in, end quote. So in other words, a habit, a habit, a habit. You know, when you develop a habit, uh, you don't have to think about doing it. It just becomes part of who you are, right? So people, people get into all kinds of uh, unhealthy habits and then when they realize they're unhealthy they struggle to break them because habits are powerful people get in uh, habits of smoking cigarettes or people get in habits of snacking and they eat when they, they just aren't even hungry 
or people get in a habit of using filler words. Have you ever heard a preacher? And he says, uh, uh, the Bible uh, uh, says, uh, well, uh, uh, just they get in a habit of, of filler words. I decided my sermons were bad enough without adding extra words that didn't mean anything. So I, I cut those out a long time ago. People just do this out of a habit. Habit. It's what a habit is. Whenever you something becomes so part of you who you are, you just you just keep doing it, and then it just becomes natural, and it's so natural you don't decide to do it, you don't think about doing it, you just do it because it is now a habit. And the Bible says here about prayer that we need to continue steadfastly in it. In, in other words, uh, it needs to become it needs to become a habit so that it just becomes natural when we become devoted to prayer it means that we won't allow anything to keep us from it i think in the church we've been guilty at times of trying to kind of load people up with more things to do Young preachers, and I'm sure I was very guilty of this as well, sometimes think that every sermon needs to give somebody something to do. They think that's how you apply it, right? So, so, so you come Sunday morning and you hear something that you're supposed to do, and then you come Sunday night and then you hear something you're supposed to do, and before you know it, there's so many things you're supposed to do, you just don't know how in the world you're ever going to be able to do that. Well, I, I don't think that we need to necessarily do more. In fact, a lot of us need to do a little less, we're so consumed with activity that we can't focus. And so when we talk about prayer, if there's no room in our life for prayer, something else needs to go. Now, the reason we would say something like, Pastor, I'm just, I'd love to have a great prayer life, but I'm just too busy. What we're saying is that, Pastor, I would love to have a great prayer life, but I already have a full calendar of things that are more important than prayer. That's what we're really saying. Because we all have so much time, and we decide what we're going to do with that time, and we prioritize. And so things that can keep you from prayer, your own attitude can keep you from prayer. Some people uh, don't believe in prayer. I don't think that it accomplishes anything, and it's not important. And if you develop that kind of attitude, it will keep you from prayer. Some people think prayer just doesn't matter because they, they asked God for something one time and he didn't answer the way that they wanted him to when they wanted him to. And that's a whole different sermon, but God's not a genie at our command where we get three wishes and he grants our command. That's not how prayer works. Prayer is talking to God. It's relational. And so if we have a wrong attitude about prayer, we're not going to prioritize it in, in our life. The other thing that will keep you from prayer is, is unconfessed sin will keep you from prayer. When you know there's something in your life that you need to be honest with God about, but you're not willing to because you don't want to give it up or you don't want to acknowledge it as sin, it will, it will keep you from prayer and it will separate you from God. But for most of us, I suspect that the greatest thing keeping us from prayer is busyness busyness but think about this how many of us came to church today without a shower because we were just too busy i've never had to say to any staff member that's ever worked for me 
you got to brush your teeth before you come to work. I, I, no matter how busy they got, they, they brushed their teeth before they came to work. When we think something is essential, we will prioritize it and we will find a way to fit it into our schedule. So we don't skip showers, we don't skip brushing our teeth, we don't skip meals, but we'll skip prayer if we believe that it's simply not essential. If we think that prayer is something for overachievers or prayer is something for rare occasions, but when prayer becomes a habit, we'll make time for prayer in our lives. Uh, Martin Luther was one of the preachers who led in the Reformation. And uh, Martin Luther, of course, he was a monk, and he was not married earlier in life, so he definitely had more time to devote spiritual things than most of us. But Martin Luther uh, had a habit of spending two hours a day in prayer, first thing in the morning, to get ready for the day. Here's what Martin Luther wrote in his diary one day. I have so much to do today that I'm going to need to spend three hours in prayer in order to be able to get it all done. Martin Luther decided that prayer was powerful. Prayer made him productive. God moved through prayer. And if he had more to do, he needed to pray more, not pray less. As we begin to think about our lives and our schedules and all the things that might crowd out us making time for prayer, do you know that God, God can make us more productive? You think, Pastor, I just, I, I can't, I can't really have a prayer time in the morning. I can't, I can't carve out time for prayer at lunch. I, I, I just really, in the evening, I mean, so, so, so much that I got to do, I just can't fit that into my life. You know, if you would pray and ask God, uh, he can clear up all kinds of messes. He can resolve conflicts. He can do all kinds of things to free you up if you would trust him and believe in him. So when we come to the point in our life that we decide that we need to pray and we want to make prayer a habit, I want to give you some practical suggestions of how you can start to make prayer a habit in your life. And then later you won't need these suggestions because once it becomes a habit, you won't have to think about it and decide to do it. It has become a part of who you are. But here's a great way to begin a habit of prayer. First, make a schedule. Make a schedule. Here's what I've discovered. Uh, we're busier than ever before, right? And, and phones and, and all these things uh, just make us accessible to everybody all the time. And I don't know what your phone looks like, but mine blows up nonstop. And so uh, if, if we don't prioritize something and make a schedule for it, what happens is everything else in the world will, will crowd out that prayer time in our lives. And so if you want to start a habit of prayer, the, the first thing I would suggest, if you don't already do this, is to, is to decide on a time. Now, you may pray all throughout the day at different times, but, but, but pick a time that you're going to devote to, to prayer. One of the greatest preachers I know is Steve Gaines at Bellevue Baptist Church, and he has a, he has a routine. He has a, a schedule for prayer. He every morning gets up, and at 5 a.m., he walks and, and prays. And this man who's incredibly mature, really just a spiritual giant, here's what he said. He's just honest. 
He said, the reason I walk and pray is because I'm not a morning person, and if I don't walk, I will fall asleep in prayer. You say, well, that's not very spiritual. Well, it's just reality. And so he, so he walks, and he has uh, cards where he writes prayer requests, and he flips through his cards of the things he's praying for. I was meeting with him one day, and he pulled out his stack of cards, and he, he had his kids on a card, and he had the president on a card, and he had a sick lady at church on a card. And he has those as reminders what to pray for. But every morning from 5 to 6 a.m., he prays. Probably one of the busiest guys on the planet, pastor of a church that runs thousands. Uh, Anna Grace's friend went down there as an intern this summer. They had 4,000 for Bible school. So he's a busy guy, but he's not too busy to pray. He has a habit that started with a schedule. He carved out a time to pray. So start a schedule. Now you're, maybe you're a more spontaneous person. A schedule, this doesn't work for you. That's okay. We're all different. God made us all different. You got to find what fits your personality and who you are. So maybe for you, you need to come up with a routine such as, before I do this, I pray. Maybe before you read the Bible, you pray. Before every meal, you pray. You start coming up with a routine. Uh, my routine for summer preparation, I always begin with prayer. I ask God to lead me to the passage. I ask God to lead me to the topic. And then I read the scripture. And then I pray and I ask God to help me understand. And when I start using tools like commentaries and reading what other people said about the text, I pray about that. And then I, I, when I kind of think where I know where the sermon's going, I I, I stop and I pray and help, ask God to help me develop an outline. And then once I've got my outline developed and I know what the major points of what I'm going to say is, then I pray and I ask God to help me flesh that out so I know exactly what I'm going to say. So that's a routine that I've developed. And so I, I, don't, I don't need a little sticky note on my monitor that says pray before you preach because it's become a habit. And so if you develop a routine, that will create a habit in your life. So whatever that might look for you, whether you always pray before you read the Bible or always pray before you make any kind of decision or always pray before some certain time, you can create a routine. And then definitely make a plan to address every crisis with, with prayer. I don't know who started saying this, and I, and I suspect that they mean, meant well, but... Um, it's become a very common saying for people to say, well, all we can do is pray. This horrible theology. It implies that prayer is a last resort and that prayer is weak and ineffective. The truth is, before any crisis, the first thing we should do is pray. When we're faced with a decision, when we're faced with a problem, stop and pray. I remember uh, my wife and I had just gotten married, and we were visiting a church up in Tennessee. It looked just about like this, about this size, and we were sitting right back there uh, in front of where the, our balcony would be. And their choir was, was fairly full that morning, and the choir stayed up. And there was a gentleman in the choir, elderly gentleman, who went unconscious. And the pastor was in the middle of preaching, and he noticed some commotion, and so finally... He's, he saw everybody staring. He stopped and he turned and he looked. And when he saw that someone had went unconscious, I remember there were people going over to help the man. And the pastor turned around to the whole congregation and he said, let's pray. 
And there in that moment, he led the congregation in, in prayer. Somebody else has already called 911. Someone else is already beside him. The greatest thing we could do in that moment was pray. When you find yourself in a crisis, make prayer your first response. Well, these are some practical things that will help you to develop a habit of prayer in your life. So we need to be devoted to prayer. There's a second thing that we learn from Paul here is that we need to have a right perspective about prayer. It's important to develop a habit of prayer, but we need to know how to pray and why we're praying and, and how prayer works if we're to do it in a healthy way. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, that, or chapter 4, verse 2, the second part of that verse, it says, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving being watchful in it what the bible is talking about here when it says being watchful it's talking about watching out for temptation watching out for for pitfalls yeah every single one of us in this room are capable of sinning it's so important that we never lose sight of that we're, we're all capable do you ever you ever read a headline or something and and you think how could anybody ever do that? I'll tell you how they can do it. They're a sinner. They have a sinful nature, and we're all capable of it too. Only by the grace of God has God worked a transformation in our lives. And if we're not careful, we'll become arrogant and let our guard down. And in our opportune moment, Satan will tempt us, and we will fall. That's why the Bible says here that in prayer, we need to be watchful. One of the things that prayer does is to prepare us for temptation, it helps us to guard our lives. Opportunity may knock once in a lifetime, but temptation pounds on the door every day. And prayer will, prayer will help us to be ready. Prayer will strengthen us and give us the ability to overcome. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 through 18 says. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And listen to this, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The Bible says here that, that we're under attack and we need to be on the defensive. We need to be prepared and ready. And it says here, praying at all times in the spirit. And then it says to that end, keep alert. You see the connection here between prayer and being ready for temptation. Prayer strengthens us. Prayer puts up our guard. Prayer is where we find the ability to make it through the day to endure temptation and to come out faithful on the other side. And so if you're going to ever grow spiritually and you're ever going to be a mature person that looks more and more like Christ, you're going to need this habit of prayer so that as temptation comes, you can overcome it. Jesus, as he was in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, here's what he said. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
Now listen to this. This is what he said to his own disciples. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The same is true for all of us. The flesh is weak. And through, temp, through prayer, we gain the strength to learn to recognize and to overcome temptation. So understanding that the prayer is, is, is not about just asking for things. Prayer is a battle against the spiritual forces in the world that are against us. Prayer is what makes us watchful and alert and gives us ability to overcome. We also, we need to have a thankful spirit when we pray. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Listen to the second part of this. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So not only are we to be devoted to prayer, not only are we just supposed to be watchful about temptation, but the Bible says here that we need to have thanksgiving in our prayer so i want you to notice one last thing here that paul teaches the church about prayer and that's that we need to pray for others prayer is not just about ourselves it's not just about us uh, strengthening ourselves so we can endure temptation it's not just about us asking for the things that we need but prayer is about us interceding for others so so here's what the bible says here at the same time, pray also for us. This is, this is Paul asking the church to pray for him. Uh, he, by the way, was praying regularly for them, and he asked them to pray for him, that God may open to us a door for the world to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So, so Paul asked the church to pray for him that God would give him the opportunity to preach the word and that God would give him the ability to preach the word, that he could speak with clarity, clarity. And see, Paul, who is obviously the greatest apostle of the first century, according to all the biblical record of what he accomplished, and yet he was still humble enough to know that he didn't have the ability to speak with clarity on his own. And so he asked the church to pray for him that he would gain that ability to be able to speak clearly. The Bible repeatedly tells us to pray for others. And so, one, we need to pray for other Christians. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now listen to this. I mean, if you're not motivated yet to develop a habit of prayer, listen to this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Whenever we become a righteous person, and as we take on the righteousness of Christ, we're living in holiness, there's, there's no unconfessed sin that's alienated us from God, and we begin to pray for other people. The Bible says that it is powerful. Power is ability to do something. When the Bible says that prayer is powerful, it means that through prayer we can make things happen. When we pray, we access one who can open doors that nobody can close and close doors that no one can open. And so for this reason, we need to pray. We need to pray for 
for other Christians, but we also need to pray, and this one's not going to sit well with many of us. We also need to pray for our enemies. The Bible teaches that explicitly. It's not just those that we love and adore that we're to pray for. It's even our enemies. Jesus, this is what he said in Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. And these are Jesus' words, not mine. And pray for those who persecute you. The Bible tells us that, that we, need to, we need to pray for others, even for our enemies. And we especially need to pray for those in ministry. That's what Paul was asking for. He said at the same time, pray for us that God may open a door for, for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And so when we think about prayer and who to pray for, don't forget about those people that are serving all over the world in very difficult places. They've left all their extended family here to go be God's missionaries in different places. Don't forget about the Sunday school teachers and the deacons that are serving people. They need our prayers. And not many of us are going to pray for them by accident. It's only going to be when we develop a habit, when praying for other people, praying in a watchful spirit becomes just a part of our life. That's when we'll begin to do this regularly. Today, when we close this service, we're going to pray. And maybe you go home today and something in the text we read stirred you and you might sit down and have a time of prayer. And that, that's just wonderful. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about that time of prayer becoming a daily thing, becoming something that's just part of who you are. It's just as natural as, as brushing your hair in the morning or eating your breakfast before you leave. It's just something that you do. It becomes so important that it crowds out other things. You don't have time to watch this show or time to do that because you're busy praying. And prayer becomes a habit. That habit will produce within us great spiritual growth. It may sound simple, and it is, but it's extremely profound and effective. Watering a tree is simple, but without water, it'll die. The same is true for your spiritual life. If prayer doesn't become a habit, you can live the rest of your life without growing, without progressing, without ever really helping anybody. But if prayer becomes part of who you are, so that you pray on a regular basis, all throughout the day at different times, about everything, when that becomes a habit in your life. This time next year, you should be able to look back and see tremendous spiritual growth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this incredible privilege that we can speak and you stop and you listen 
and you answer. God, help us not to take this for granted, but I pray it might become a habit in our lives, a habit that will produce change and growth. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, prayer is a great privilege, but do you know what made it possible? Jesus. The Bible says that he's our great high priest. What that means is that he's the one who, who mediates between us and, and God. You see, in the Old Testament days, the temple was divided into areas, and the area where the ark was, where God's presence dwelt, was separated by this great curtain. They called it the veil. And you and I, if we had been alive back then, we couldn't have went in and seen that area. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that that veil was ripped from top to bottom. You see, he destroyed any separation between us and God when he made a way for us to be forgiven and for us to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But what Christ did on the cross must be received. We must believe it. And in faith, we must receive the gift that he offers. And so if you're here today and you've never received that gift, maybe you don't even fully understand what we're talking about, but you'd like to respond to the Lord. When we begin to sing, if you'll just step out of your seat and come forward, I'd love to pray with you, help you receive this gift. For those of us that are already been saved and we have constant access to God, Let's not take it for granted, but may prayer become simply a part of who we are. Today, as we sing this song of invitation, I invite you to respond to the Lord as he leads you. Let's stand together.